Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Month of February, we're in a series to do something a little bit different, we're trying to establish our theme for the year, which is invest your life. Last Sunday, we talked about this idea that Jesus has called us not to work harder, but to invest more. Not to try harder, but to trust more. I want to give him what I have. Jesus said, come unto me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, go read books and learn how to be fishers of men, and then come to me, and then you'll be useful. He said, follow me, and I'm going to make you into something that you are not. There needs to be some rest in that, doesn't there? I'm going to follow you, and Jesus, you're going to do something that I could never do. I'm going to give you my two tuna sandwiches, and you're going to break it up, and you're going to feed 20,000 people. I invest, and you do amazing things. We talked last week about, well, how do I invest? What are the areas I invest? We talked about investing your time, and I encouraged you last week, would you open up some space to invest your time to be with Jesus? Maybe you read a psalm, maybe allow there just to be some space for him to speak through that psalm. Talked about investing your money, and it's a very important part of following Jesus. If I invest in him, I'm, I'm trusting him with what I have for him to be able to do something amazing with. Encourage people to invest their money, also to invest in others. Encourage you to call someone or just encourage one person. Invest in someone. Let them know that you appreciate them, or that just encourage them in some way. That's what we mean by investing our lives. But in thinking further, we need to kind of consider this question. You say, well, what does an investor actually do? We think of you know, trusting someone with my money, and I'm giving you my money, and I'm going to sit back and watch it grow. But what does that mean spiritually? How do I invest myself in following Jesus? And what really is my role? Today, the title of the message is Get Small. Now, if you know Steve Martin, you know that's an old routine he had years ago. We're not talking about Steve Martin's idea of taking a drug and getting smaller, and it's a whole kind of unwholesome thing, but I want us to think about who we are and what our role is to compare, compare to who Jesus is. What's my role? What's his role? How big is he and how small am I? Because if we don't get this right, we're going to give ourselves a lot more importance than really we should have. And Julie and I had the privilege of going to see our, our families. I got to see my mom and Julie's mom and dad, and uh, we did a, had a good trip to Kentucky. But in order to get there, you have to fly to Nashville. And Nashville, I love the airport because you can rent a car and walk outside to the garage, no tram, no bus, and you get to pick out, you get to get in your car. And usually... Usually, I ask the, the, the person at the counter, what kind of car do I get? Because to me, this can set the tone for the whole trip. I don't want some little piece of junk. You say, well, Steve, you're kind of prideful in that, and I will say yes. I just appreciate a good car. I do. I think it's really important to have, uh, you know, and I, I ordered, I had, I had signed up for a full-size car, and I remember that because it's important to the story. We walk upstairs, and we're walking up, and you know how it is. And they, they told me my car 
was in space 304. And I look over, and there's all the 300 spaces, and I see glory. I see nice cars. I see large cars. I see comfortable cars. I see that new Jeep Wagoneer that costs like a million dollars. It's right there, and it's in space 303. And right next to that, in space 304, is the tiniest little station wagon you've ever seen. This is horrible. And I said to the attendant, I said, I, said, um, I ordered like a full-size car, and this is a tin can, so... He said, oh no, sir, you've actually been upgraded. He said, that's an SUV. What, because it has four-wheel drive? It's still, I have to get on my knees to get in. And anyway, but I realized I wasn't as big as I thought I was. For a moment there, I thought I was pretty big. I thought I was Jeep Wagoneer. In reality, I'm tiny station wagon. You ever had that happen in your life? Found out I'm not really as big as I thought I was. When I was in high school, I was on the football team, and my sister Linda's right here, and she and Linda and Bill Brooks, give them a round of applause for being my sister and brother-in-law. They live over on the, on the West Coast, and um, uh, Linda was a cheerleader. I was a football player. She was a much better athlete, um, but um, I was in line to be the starting quarterback. I know it's shocking, you didn't think I was that good. Maybe our high school was that bad. But I, I thought, really, I was going to, they were telling me, you know, our coaches pump you up, you're going you're gonna to probably play in college, you know. Dude, stick with us. But when it came my time, when I was a junior, another kid moved into our school. And he was a really good quarterback. I mean, like, I wasn't even half as good. I could pretend I was. I tried really hard, but I watched him play, and I watched the coaches respond, and I realized the writing's on the wall, kid. You ain't ever starting for this team. So I took a hammer, and I hit him in the leg. <laughs> I went Tanya Harding on him. No, I didn't do that. It's kind of tempting, though, isn't it? Actually, what I did is I got small. I went to the coach, and I go, look, I'm never going to play, am I? Oh, no, you might play, and someday, maybe if he gets the flu, maybe it's going to be okay. So listen, I like to have a different position. I took a different role on the team. I had to get small to do that. It's so important that we understand our role. I mean, most of you are probably going to watch this, this some kind of game tonight, and it's really important that everybody on the teams of the games, they're watching, that everybody plays their role. There's only one head coach. There's only one quarterback. You don't get to determine whatever it is you want to do. You have to understand your role. And in some cases, we really need to get small. Well, today we're going to look at five or six examples of God's role and our role. What is God doing and what do I do? What is my role? And there's literally probably hundreds of these in scriptures. We're just going to look at about five or six and we'll start at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And my goal is that we see all that God is doing. We get a, a small glimpse and we understand what our role is and what it's not. And I really hope that this a result of this is it takes some of the pressure off you. That you really don't have to accomplish everything. We serve a great and mighty and awesome 
God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, say it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's say that again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, who created the heavens and the earth? Was it you? Praise God. I think we need to keep that in mind. God created all that you see. Say, well, Steve, it took him a millions of years. I don't believe that I'm a six-day creation guy. We can argue about that later, and you can be wrong. (laughs) But I still love you. We can still get along. We can still worship together. Um, We need to rest in that a little bit. God created the heavens and the earth. And oh, by the way, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing was created that wasn't created through Him, Jesus Christ, Creator God. Can you just rest in that for a moment? God created. And what was our role? Genesis 2.12, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. We didn't create it. Our job is to work it and keep it. Or another way to say that, it is to manage God's creation and develop God's creation. That's our role. That's our role. Adam didn't create the animals. Rather, he studied them to the point where he could name them. He understood their characteristics enough that he could name the animals. You have a part of God's creation to manage. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And sometimes you feel like, I don't know if I can manage this child anymore. And you're trying hard. And you're holding on by your fingernails. But God's given you that amazing privilege to manage that little part of his creation. Whatever your role is, if you're a businessman, you're managing resources. You're managing what God has given you in order to develop and manage what he's given you. If you're a teacher, you're managing little souls. If you're a nurse, you're caring for people. You're a healthcare professional. You're helping God's creation move on, develop. You're managing that. That's our role. We're not the creator. The greatest artist in the world only takes what God has given and develops it in a way that's beautiful. They don't really create it. They just take what God has, and they made it something amazing. Greatest interior designer does it. We're managing God's creation. Money managers manage resources so that people can live. That's what your call is. Think of what you're doing as managing and developing God's creation. And invest your life in that. God, I I don't need to take too much responsibility. I just want to manage what you give me and develop it for your glory. Number two, Genesis 6, 17 through 18 God is the judge of the world. And our job is to build a boat to save some. God is the judge of the world, which means I'm not the judge of the world. And neither are you. Genesis 12, 17, God speaking to Noah says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is in earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, with you. 
You know the story. Genesis happens, Genesis 1, Genesis 3 happens, and there's sin that comes into God's creation. As a result, this evil is rampant throughout the earth, and God says, I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood. God is the judge. I'm going to destroy the world. Noah's job is to build a boat to save people. The world deserved judgment. But Noah's job was not to bring judgment on the world. Noah's job was to say, I'm going to build a boat so that I can save a few. And the Bible says that Noah was 500 years old when God spoke to him. And Noah was 600 years when he got in the boat. So somewhere between 500 and 600, Noah builds a really big boat, which incidentally they have it in Kentucky. You can go see it. Um, they, they really do. It may not be the actual boat, but it's pretty close, I think. Um, and I, I, I recommend it. I hear it's great. Don't you wonder what Noah's days were like? Neighbor comes over. Hey, Noah, what's up? I'm building a boat. What's, what for? We're not near water. Well, it's going to rain. What's rain? Well, you see, God, who? God is going to bring judgment on the earth, and he's called me to save some people. Yeah, well, I'll see you later. I'm going to go party. Now, Noah's not judging the world. Rather, every day is a testimony to what God is going to do. And his work is to help save some. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to judge people. That's God's role. We, we, it's not that we don't acknowledge sin. We do, and we have to deal with it at times. And, but our goal is not to sit in judgment of people. Our goal is to say, hey, I, I've got a way for you to get out of this alive. Because God's judgment is coming. It will come. It will happen. Your job is to figure out how I can help some people survive that. And that's what Noah did. See, we need to invest our lives in saving some because our awesome and mighty and powerful and righteous God will judge the world. He's called us to save some. Three, God initiates and we respond. You know that God is initiating something in your life right now that he wants you to do. He calls Abraham, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. His name is Abram at this point. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I love that verse. So packed with meaning, right? Go from everything that you know, your land, your city, your father's house, your relatives, and I want you to go to a place I will show you. Um, I'd like a little more information, God. Because I don't know what this land is you're going to show me. I mean, I'm not even going to go to a restaurant I don't know unless I can see some reviews on it. And yet I'm going to follow God to where he's going to show me, and that's what Abram does. Follow me. And what is he going to do? Verse 2, he says, I will make you a great nation. Sounds a lot like that verse in Mark 1 that says, 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, you're going to go where I show you and I'm going to make you a great nation. Not, hey, Abram, I want you to make yourself into a great nation. I want you to build yourself up. I want you to create your own kingdom. He's saying very simply, if you will go where I show you, I'm going to make you a great nation. And you're not just any great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I love verse 4, first three words, so Abram went. I love that. He just simply, he simply went. Sometimes people will say something like this. I wish that God would give me a clear and specific call of where I'm to go and what I'm to do. Because Abram got that from God. Eh, Kind of. Actually, you have a more clear and specific call in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus says, hey guys, I'm in charge. All authority has been given to me. So here's what I want you to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Develop people who will follow me. Go and make disciples. That's your call. Baptize them. Help them follow me. Help them be converted in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them all the stuff that I've taught you. I love this. This is the point where we forget this last little line that makes so much difference when we think about investing our life versus trying harder. He says, and and I'm with you always. I give you a clear and a specific call. And I'm going with you. You don't go out. I'm going to go make some disciples, Jesus. I'll call you when I get back. I'll give you a text, let you know how it went. No, he says, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. You know that when Jesus calls you to do something, he's already more involved than you can possibly know. He's going before you. He's going with you. He's going after you. So we need to invest our lives developing disciples who can follow Jesus. If you're wondering what your next step is, your first question really needs to be, how can I help more people follow Jesus? How can I help more people be rescued from the judgment to come? It'll be very clear where you need to actually go physically. God calls and we follow And God makes us into something that he wants us to be. Invest your life in responding to what God calls you to do. Fourth, Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep. I don't know how happy that makes us. We'd like to be the shepherd, wouldn't you? Jesus is the shepherd, Psalm 23.1, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want You see, sheep are really helpless without a shepherd. And the psalmist David is saying, I I don't have any ability to take care of myself. I absolutely have to have a shepherd. This really helps us get small. I'm just a sheep, 
And you're my shepherd. You're my everything. You're the one that makes me lay down so that I can get some rest. You're the one that shows me where to drink. You, Jesus, are the one who restores my soul. Jesus would later say in John 10, I am the good shepherd. So this psalm was really written to him. Jesus, you're the one who restores my soul. Has he restored your soul? Has he restored your soul? And that means, has he cleaned you up? Let me tell you, don't wait until you're cleaned up to go see the shepherd. Because it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Jesus, our great and mighty and awesome God, stands ready to clean you up if you'll just simply let him catch you, how about And incidentally, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not because you sought him, it's because he sought you. He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. Psalm 100 says, Know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who made us. We are his, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. You don't belong to yourself. It's a good way to get small, isn't it? Wait a minute, he owns me? Yeah, Paul says you're bought with a price. The price of the blood of Christ. It's good to sit in that for a moment. God, I'm just a sheep. The only way I can bring you glory is to follow you. That's the only way that I can accomplish it is to follow you, Jesus, because you're going to make me into something awesome. He is the shepherd. We are simply the sheep. Invest your life in staying close to the shepherd and receiving what he wants to give. I love the part of the 23rd Psalm where it says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow, even when I walk through someplace scary, anybody been there? You've been scared lately? Something happened? Maybe you saw some balloons in the sky, you didn't sure where they came from? But seriously, maybe you got a scare. It's good to have a shepherd when there's fear in your life. Because the shepherd has tools, he has a staff and he has a rod to protect and to draw us back to himself. That's who our God is. We need to get small and be a sheep. Invest your life in following the shepherd. Perhaps the greatest picture of the greatness of God and the smallness of man is in Judges chapter 7 and 8 in the story of Gideon. If you know your Old Testament, you know that the, judge, the story of Judges is just this cycle that's really annoying after you read it four or five times. It just happens over and over again, right? The people of Israel, everything's great. They got a great leader. Um, they're, they're following God. They're being his people. And then the leader dies, and they, they all drift off, and they start rebelling. And then pretty soon an enemy comes and overruns them and conquers them and oppresses them. And, and then they fall on their faces and repent, and God rescues them, brings them another leader, and the cycle starts all over again. And that's where they are in the story of Gideon. The Midianites had overcome Israel. They were taking all their crops, and God found Gideon and called him to be their rescuer. And Gideon amassed an army of 32,000. And the Midianites had an army of 135,000. Four to one. Seems like, seems like that's not enough guys, but okay, that's what we got. Let's go with it. But listen to what God tells Gideon in chapter 7, verse 2 of the book of Judges. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you 
are too many. He doesn't say, Gideon, I'm going to bring you some more guys because you guys just don't have enough. Uh, He says, the people with you are too many for me to give you the Midianites into, into their hand. And listen to this, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. I read that line just with grief because I've done that. You ever done that? God, look what I did. Or really, look what I did, and we forgot about our prayer to get whatever it is God did. God, I'm just so happy. This is amazing. I, whew, I'm really good. That's, you're going to be in trouble fast when that comes. See, God loves us too much to take credit for what we don't deserve credit for. He says, Gideon, you're going to have to get small. Verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who'd lapped, that's how they were testing which guys were going to go and which weren't, uh, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go every man to his home. God eliminated all but 300 men of the 32,000 that they had. They got small to bring God glory so that there would be no doubt that it was God who did it. That's one of the reasons he makes us small. Has God made you small lately? Maybe you don't have the influence you used to have. Maybe you don't feel like you're as important as you used to be. Has God made you small? Maybe God wants to bring himself even more glory through you because he's made you small. If you know the story, you know that the 300 men, first of all, which is, I think, really cool, God says to Gideon, hey, listen, if you're afraid, yeah, I think I'm afraid. There's 135,000 people there. I got 300. I'm going to show up. This is not good. God says, I want you to sneak down in the camp and listen to the stories they're telling around the campfire. And he hears these men telling stories of dreams they've been having, the fact that God has sent a spirit of fear into their lives, and they're afraid of the men of Gideon coming and destroying them. Next day, Gideon gathers his 300. They walk into camp, um, actually in the dark, with these torches that are covered in pots, and they shatter the pots. Suddenly, there's this light, and they get terrified. And what do they do? The army starts to turn on itself. Gideon's men really didn't even have any weapons. The army turned on itself and ran. That's what our great God does. When we allow ourselves to get small. See, so many times we think of ourselves as the powerful bow of a bow and arrow. Reality, we're just, at best, we're the point of the arrowhead. And you know what happens if your arrowhead gets too big? It can't penetrate the target. So we need to think of ourselves as getting small so that God can be great. I mean, we're really more earbuds than we are iPhone. You know what I mean? If the... Earbuds get too big, they're really what we call speakers, and they really won't fit in your ears anymore, right? In order to be used by God, we need to make sure we've gotten small enough for Him to use us. We're really a lot more of a nail than we are the hammer. We place ourselves in God's hand, and He can drive us where He needs us to be. When we get small, we leave room for God to work. Invest your life by getting small so that God can get the glory. 
There's literally hundreds of these. David had to get small in order to repent when he sinned. He had to be small when he came to fight Goliath because he said, I can't wear this armor that Saul gave me. I need to let God do what he's already trained me to do, which is use the sling. Saul falls on his face and he later become Paul as he is saved by God on the road to Damascus, saying, I repent. I love the way John the Baptist described it as Jesus came on the scene. He must increase, but I must decrease. Finally, he's, God's the one preparing a place for us. And we get to go. We're not preparing our home in heaven. That's what Jesus is doing. We're not preparing that place where there'll be no more death or crying or pain anymore and he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's what Jesus is doing. We need to remember that. We're small. He is huge. Oh, by the way, his house is amazingly huge. And there's plenty of room for you. We need to invest our lives in remembering what Jesus is actually doing for us right now. Sometimes we get so focused on this earth, we forget that this earth is not our home. But our Father has a house, and His Son is preparing a place for us. So let me ask you, have you taken on too big of a role? Let me give you just a few ways you might determine if maybe I've thought of myself as too big and God is too small. Here's some characteristics. Number one, everything you accomplish can be explained by your own efforts. Consider what God has done in your life. Can you look at anything that God has ever done through you that you can say, that was God, or is it all that these are things I've really tried hard to accomplish? You've gotten too big. You need to get small and let God be huge. You need to open up some space for Him to work. Number two, you've gotten too big if prayer is one of the last things you do when you face a challenge or a crisis. You see, for you, prayer is your last resort. So prayer should be the first thing we do. Crisis challenge, God, I want to make sure I'm fitting into what you want to do in this. I want to trust you in this. I want you to get the glory in this. I want to be small. I want you to be great. When prayer is the last thing we do, we've gotten too big and we need to get small. Number three, you live in a constant state of being overwhelmed. We all get overwhelmed. There are seasons in our life that are challenging. But if that's our constant state, we're probably taking too big a role and not trusting God with things that we're not called to do. Three, you have a hard time with some of the things God allows and some of the things He doesn't do. You start to be the judge of God and say, God, you didn't do this for me. I needed you to accomplish this. Why did you let this happen? And that's your constant mantra that's going through your mind. God, why did you let this happen? You've gotten too big and you need to get small because we serve a big, massive, awesome God who knows all about what's going on. And five, you've gotten too big if you're confident that you know exactly what Jesus wants to do in every situation. Oh, I know what he wants to do. I know what he wants to do here. I know what he wants to do. Listen, let me tell you, I'm 61 years old. He's done all kinds of stuff I had no idea he wanted to do. And I wouldn't have done. 
And I'm a smart guy. Aren't you smart? I have a bunch of degrees. We need to get small. Trust him. Three things you can do. Number one, as Henry Blackaby used to say, look at where God is at work and join him there. Where is God doing something? Where do you see people interested? Where do you see people responding? Where do you see him doing amazing things that you can't possibly explain? You need to throw gasoline on that fire. You need to get involved there. Where is he at work? Where do you see him doing something? I loved, uh, we got to spend some time with Henry, the author of Experiencing God, and one of the things he used to always say was, you know, our theology is too man-centered and not God-centered. We think about what we want him to do versus what he wants to do. Look at where he's at work and join him. Number two, think of yourself as an arrow. Think of yourself as an arrowhead. Think of yourself as the head of a nail. Think of yourself as simply earbuds. It's God who's driving everything. He's the one who has the power. Get involved in that. Align yourself with him for that. And finally, Maybe most difficult. Trust Jesus with what you're not assigned to do. There's a lot of things that God is doing that you're not assigned to do. There's a lot of things you don't have the opportunity to do. Sometimes we want God to save somebody. We can't get to him. We need to be praying for God to do what he needs to do in their lives. There's a lot of things that is not your call. It's outside of your ability. It's outside of your area. It's what you can do. Listen, trust him with that. Trust him with that. We get all worked up, get all upset. Reality is we just need to get small and trust Jesus to do what he's going to do. Now, what about you today? Are you in? Are you in the ark? Have you been saved? Are you being transported through God's judgment to this eternal home? Are you are you a follower of Jesus? Are you investing your life? Listen, today, my prayer is that if you're not a follower of Jesus or you're not sure, I would love to chat with you after the service. I would love to introduce you to Jesus and allow him to save you. I can't save you, but he can. And today, if you've seen yourself that maybe God has revealed that you're a little bigger than you ought to be, I urge you, get small. Repent of that sin of pride, that sin that judges God, that sin that judges others. God, I'm sorry. I I just want to fit into your plan. Invest your life rather than trying to work your way into God's favor. Invest your life. Would you pray with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.